A proverb sheds light on this morning's gospel and psalm readings. And it is this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The um, principle, the wisdom that is in this proverb is so important that both Peter, in the context of youth submitting to elders, and more importantly, Christians fully submitting to God, as well as James, in the context of the spiritual battle between God's people and the people of the world, they use this proverb as the starting point for how disciples of Jesus should live. Now, I'm currently struggling with how to love God and also love my neighbor so that I do not respond to people with cutting sarcasm, which I admit to having a great talent for that. Um, In fact, it's one of my still ongoing sins. I have a hard time discerning if people who support unhealthy lifestyles are either ignorant or willfully, willfully contrary. And you know what? It really doesn't make a difference. Now, I'm not talking about physical health, but spiritual health and well-being. If only, if only people could become reconciled to God so as to have a strong relationship with him. But this requires doing everything God's way, submitted to the true King Jesus. But as I was contemplating this, we are told in this, and this is where I struggle because I want to do it in my own sarcasm, but we are told the weapons that we have are not of the flesh, not of our sin nature, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds. And right now, here is a story that I heard someone share. There was a participant in a new member's class in a church. And he shared with the group that for years he had lived in the gay lifestyle. But now that he had met Jesus, he was determined he wanted to live a celibate life and and follow God. But the problem was that he was... um, still living with his roommate, and he couldn't find an affordable apartment. So what should he do? And, and the leaders of the church shared this with him, and they said, well, be honest. Be honest with your roommate. Tell him what's happened to you, and tell him that you're going to live a celibate lifestyle, and and that's it. You'll just live as roommates until you finally find an apartment. And some two months later, when the class ended and he was about to join the church, he shared this. He said that once my roommate and I only related through talking, through conversation, something very strange happened. 
for the first time, we became friends. And then he went on to say, and now my new friend has said he wants to watch me and witness as I join the church. Now, not everything works out this way in the end. There are very, very difficult situations in life, okay? Um, And my belief here is that in this case, beyond a shadow of a doubt, both the leaders of the church and the members of that class, they acted with wisdom and grace, and they were both truth and love to this man. And and the reason I tell this story is how many times do we respond politically according to the ways of, of, of this world and the kingdoms of this world and not as subjects of God's kingdom according to the ways of Jesus? How many times are we more like the Jewish leaders in our gospel text this morning where Jesus' own people reject him for Caesar in the ways of the world? So with this introduction, let's now look at our text this morning in all humility because God gives grace to the humble. So uh, the first half of our um, scripture from John's gospel this morning says that after humiliating Jesus, Pilate finds no guilt in him, but the chief priests demand Jesus be crucified because he claims to be God's son. And this claim caused Pilate to fear. Um, So the introduction is after Pilate has Jesus severely whipped The soldiers mock Jesus, and then Pilate told the chief priest he found no guilt in Jesus. Now let's go through it uh, verse by verse. Then therefore Pilate took Jesus and whipped him. Now the whips of those days, and you've probably seen movies and heard this so many times, they weren't just like a cat of nine tails, you know, there were 10 or 12, um, you know, brushes or whatever that would hit people. They had embedded nails in the end of each one of them, claws, so to speak, that not only ripped the skin, but sometimes ripped out organs as well. And flogging or scourging, as the King James says it, are are better words. In fact, some men died just from this, and they were spared crucifixion. Back to the text, the soldiers having woven a crown from thorns, they put it on his head and they clothed him in a purple robe and they were coming to him and they were saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were giving him slaps on the face. This is pure mocking. They put the trappings of kingship on Jesus and then spoke to him mockingly. And they began to strike him on the face, a hard slap, blows to his face, as Isaiah had prophesied so many centuries earlier. Then John tells us Pilate went out again, outside, and he's saying to them, behold, I am bringing him to you all outside 
that you all may know that nothing of guilt or fault I am finding in him. Now, I think this was kind of the way of Romans. You know, after an ordeal by fire, harsh treatment of Jesus, Pilate finally concludes this. Jesus is without guilt or fault. He is innocent of any crime. But that doesn't placate them. And so when Pilate presents Jesus to the chief priests, they demand that Pilate crucify Jesus because he made himself God's son, which causes Pilate to fear. And then Jesus is silent before Pilate. Again, let's go into more detail. Then he came, Jesus, outside, wearing the thorny crown and the purple garments. And Pilate is saying to them, behold, the man. By saying this, behold, the man, Pilate is presenting Jesus to them as king. In fact, he's still wrapped up in that robe of purple. And purple is always the color worn by royalty. And then he's exhorting them to look carefully at the man, Jesus. John continues, therefore, when they saw him, the chief priests and the assistant priests ministering, they cried out saying, thou must crucify, thou must crucify. And he's saying to them, Pilate, y'all must take him and y'all must crucify him because I, not I am finding in him guilt or fault. Now the chief priests and the temple ministers twice cry out to Pilate, demanding, demanding, he crucify Jesus. But Pilate repeats himself saying for a second time, he finds Jesus totally innocent. And they answer to him, we have a law. We are having, and by the law, he is being liable to die because son of God himself, he has made. The Jewish leaders know that by declaring himself God's son, Jesus is saying he's equal to God. Isn't it ironic that it took the church some two centuries to come up with the doctrine of the Trinity and these Jews already recognize that he's making himself equal to God. And then um, to them, we must understand, to them it was blasphemy. They thought he was just a human being. Who ever heard of God in a human form? And he's making himself to them that's punishable by death. And then when he heard Pilate this word, more he was made afraid. And he went into the praetorium or judgment hall again. And he's saying to Jesus, from where thou art being, thou. But Jesus reply, not he gave to him. Pilate, the very idea that Jesus may in some way be God by being God's son is enough to arouse great fear 
in Pilate, this Roman governor who they're not supposed to be afraid of anything. And then he strongly asked Jesus from where he has come. In other words, where is your connection to God? What is it? Tell me, please. And this must have shaken Pilate even more right to his core. Jesus remains silent before Pilate. Second half, Pilate seeks to release Jesus, king of the Jews. But they say he opposes Caesar, whom they declare their king. And then after this down note, our lectionary gives us this wonderful closing psalm that for centuries God's people sang in praise of God as the king, the eternal king of needy people. Okay, let's finish our story with Pilate and Jesus. When Pilate tells Jesus he has authority to crucify him, Jesus responds that Pilate's authority is God-given. And as Pilate seeks to receive Jesus, the Jews cry out, this man opposes Caesar. So again, let's go into the details. Then he's saying to him, Pilate, To me, not thou art speaking, not thou have known that authority I am having to release thee and authority I'm having to crucify me. So he's freaked out by the silence and he says, why aren't you talking to me? He's claiming to have the authority and power to Spare Jesus or crucify him, life or death over Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he answered him, Jesus, not thou were having authority against me. Not at all. If not, it was being. It had been given over to thee from above. God gave that authority ultimately over to Pilate. Jesus makes it clear, clear that the source of Pilate's authority is not God, but Tiberius Caesar. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of an aside here, and and I know this is a bit complicated, but remember when Jesus was talking about rendering to God and Caesar, Caesar, respectively? I believe he was challenging God's people to realize that because the earth is Yahweh's and all that is in it, ultimately nothing should be rendered to Caesar unless God directs this rendering by his spirit according to his word. I think we're still too quick to give the government too much authority when it's opposing God. Okay, so from this time we're told Pilate was seeking to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if this man thou may set free, not thou are being a friend of Caesar. Each king himself making, self-proclaimed kings. He's opposing Caesar. So, because of his fear of God, which he has deeply at this moment, Pilate's seeking a way that he can release Jesus from being a prisoner. And the Jewish leaders here are pitting Jesus 
against Caesar. So I was curious and I looked up a little bit to try to understand what Caesar was like at this time. And it doesn't necessarily mean king the way we think of it politically, but Caesar had total control over the army. It was more like he was a five-star general and we would say commander in chief, I guess. Well, anyway, um, they did have ultimate authority Um, And the people wanted this. You know, people are always kind of sheep. And if there was somebody that they trusted that had authority, they perceived that they had stability in their lives, which people crave. As I said, they had control of the army. So if they didn't totally offend the Senate, like a tu brute, and, you know, they were in trouble with the Senate, they were indeed the absolute law. And the Jewish leaders are putting Pilate in a bind. If he releases Jesus, they're saying both he, Pilate, and they, the Jews, will be on the wrong side of Caesar. And the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, they choose Caesar. Jesus' own people reject him for Caesar. And then the John account closes in summary. Pilate, having heard this, he sits in the judgment seats. He tells the Jews to behold your king. But they demand crucifixion, declaring Caesar to be their king. So John concludes, therefore, Pilate, having heard these words, he brought out Jesus and sat down on the judgment seat in a place being called pavement, but in Hebrew, gabatha, which means a raised platform. And it was being the day of the preparation of the Passover. Our it was being as sixth. And he's saying to the Jews, behold the king of y'all. And then they cried out these, thou must take away, thou must take away, thou must crucify him. So this judgment seat, you may have heard this word, Bema. I can't tell you how many times I heard it in sermons in my life. Well, you know, the real judgment seat, Paul wrote to the Romans that we will all have to appear before God's judgment seat. And then to the churches in Corinth, that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But again, Pilate is still trying his best, as weak as he was. He says, behold your king. So now at the noon hour, halfway through the 12 hours of daylight, the 6th of 12, Pilate is bolder than ever to declare that Jesus is the king of the Jews, as well as the man. But the Jewish leaders double down on their desire to just get rid of Jesus at any cost. They want him crucified. So they say, take him away, take him away, execute him. And he's saying to them, Pilate, the king of you all? Might I crucify? He's just amazed. He's incredulous. If he, representing all the power of Rome, can find no reason to crucify Jesus, king of the Jews, why should they demand his crucifixion? That's still a big question. And they answered the 
chief priests. Not we are having king, if not Caesar. This is blasphemous idolatry. Why would Jewish religious leaders choose Caesar over Jesus? In choosing a human leader, Caesar, over the covenant God, Yahweh, the problem was they didn't consider Jesus to be Yahweh. They are indulging in idolatry and blasphemy. They have chosen Caesar over the God who delivered them out of Egypt. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul says, the one who followed them all the way from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land was Jesus Christ. They choose Caesar over Jesus. God's people reject him for Caesar. Well, Even though we can all be guilty, let's not end on that note. Let's go to this psalm of David where God's people praise him as the eternal king of truth who acts on behalf of all needy people. So once again, I'm I'm going to give you this word for word. It starts out, you all must praise Yahweh or Hillelah. Thou must praise my soul, Yahweh. I will praise Yahweh in my life. I will sing praises to my God in the time I'm still me. Here's a fourfold praise, the first two verses. The covenant God's people are commanded to praise them together. The psalmist commands his own soul to praise Yahweh. Then he says, in his life, I will praise Yahweh. And finally, I will sing praise In the time I am still myself, as long as I have my faculties. Continuing, you all must not put trust in princes, in the son of Adam, whom not to him salvation. It will go out his breath. He will return to the ground or Adama. In that day, it has perished his thoughts. I'll just sum this up. It is foolish to trust in man, Adam, mankind in general. We have been taken from the ground. He continues. um, Actually, this isn't David. It's probably a priest who wrote this. I just looked at the superscript. Happy whom God of Jacob, his help, his hope upon Yahweh, his God, he making heaven and earth, the sea and all which is in them, the one keeping faith, truth to eternity. He doing justice to the oppressed. He giving food to the hungry. Yahweh setting free those being bound. Blessed or made happy people are those being helped by the covenant God of Jacob Israel and who are hoping in the creator God who keeps truth and faithfulness forever. This word ameth means both truth and faithfulness. And he's an advocate. He will provide justice, food, and freedom as the one who's always the advocate for the oppressed, hungry, and unjustly imprisoned. 
Back to the psalm, Yahweh is opening eyes of blind. Yahweh is lifting up those made to bow down. Yahweh is loving the righteous. Yahweh is watching over alien sojourners, the fatherless and the widow. He will restore. Okay, lowly people here, blind people, those who've been burdened, alien sojourners, orphans, widows, five categories of lowly and humble people. They have always been taken advantage of by wicked people, wicked people who will exploit whomever they can. They have no conscience. But we're told of a provision here. The covenant God, Yahweh, provides for them. And he becomes their source of hope and their salvation. It's not man, Adam, in verse 3. It's God, the lowly, find hope in God, ultimately now in Jesus. And then there's a little discordant note here. The way of the wicked, he will pervert and overthrow. And actually, I shouldn't say that's discordant. That's an interesting harmony. Because it's both and. God cannot bless those who seek to follow him without also punishing those who hate them and oppress them. So, though the wicked may prosper for a time, his ultimate end is ruin. He will be completely overthrown. All who pervert God's justice will ultimately be perverted or overthrown. And if you want a good example, sit down sometime this week and read Psalm 73, because it tells us that. And in conclusion, he will reign and rule Yahweh to eternity. Thy God, Zion, to generation and generation, you all must praise Yah, Hillel, Yah. Yahweh will be king forever to eternity from generation to generation. And because Jesus is Yahweh, even though he was crucified, he rose again and he is the eternal king of kings. Let me wrap it up briefly. Even though Pilate finds no guilt in Jesus and fears him as king of the Jews, He gives in to political expediency and hands over Jesus to be crucified by the Jews who claim their only king is Caesar. These Jews were unlike their ancestors who had sung a psalm for centuries, praising their God, who is the eternal king of truth, who always acts on behalf of the needy. I admitted earlier on, I do this sometimes, but let's not be like the Jews who rejected Jesus for Caesar.